0: Pixel Project Radio is supported exclusively by listeners like you, and we want to thank you. We also want to thank patrons such as Dave Jackson, Dustin Miller, Ryan Yingling, Poppy the Keaton, Eric Guess, Chris Copleen, and Charlie Young. If you want to be like these incredible people, you can head on over to patreon.com slash Radio. There are a variety of tiers to choose from. Uh, You can give a little, you can give a lot. It's totally up to you. And each tier comes with its own special bonuses. Whoa, what a wacky world. Uh, But for real, the support means so much to us. Uh, We are very passionate about supporting small artists and small creators, and we are thrilled that so many of you feel the same towards us so from the bottom of our hearts thank you very very much now here are several puns that i've prepared for the beginning of this episode oh the music's starting again ah what a twist my name is rick firestone my name is ben bugale And you're listening to Pixel Project Radio, a video game discussion-style podcast where we talk all about the video games we love and some that you love, too. If this is your first time listening to the show, welcome. Welcome. If this is your second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, I feel like Dwight in that one episode of The Office. I know, I know. (laughs) Anyways, if you're a return listener, welcome back. Uh, Whether you're new or old, if you like what you hear and you want to help support us, you can give us a review or a rating on Apple Podcasts, Podcast Addict, or Spotify. Uh, Good Pods, wherever you happen to listen. You can find us on Twitter or Instagram, Pixel Project Radio, if you want to join the fun. We've got a Discord that you'll find in the show notes, as well as on those socials. And we've got a Patreon. Patreon. If you like what we do, you can support us at patreon.com slash pixelprojectradio. There's plenty of ways to get in touch with us on that internet. A lot of stuff on that internet. Internet's cool. The internet is cool. Today, as we are wont to do, sometimes we decide to do topic episodes instead of episodes on games proper. And today, we are kicking off 2023 with an immensely spoiler-heavy episode... Ben,
1: what are we talking about today? Well, and, and that's, and that's just it. This is your spoiler warning right now. Okay, everybody. We're talking about at least, and and this is subjective and this can change depending on our memory and everything else, but we're talking about for each of us. uh, We could call it our top three twists in video games. Those moments that make you go, Oh shit. Um, those moments that make you go, oh my gosh, Bruce Willis was dead the whole time.
0: That's so we, we we didn't give a spoiler warning for the sixth sense, but hopefully you've seen
1: it by now. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I already gave you your warning about spoilers. So, I mean, come on. Yeah. Have you not seen every piece of
0: media and art in the past 20 years? If you haven't, what's wrong with you idiot? Stay off of the internet. (sighs) How dare you? dare you. Just to expand on Ben's spoiler warning, uh, this is obviously going to be a spoiler-heavy episode. What we're going to do is when we're counting down, we're going to name the game first, and I'm going to put a timestamp in to where you could fast-forward to if you don't want to hear the talk on that specific game. So, if you don't want to be spoiled on any particular thing, we've got you covered.
1: You'll be able to skip forward to the next next game. Yeah, and Rick and I know what our games are, and I think it makes it a little bit more interesting because I think we have some level of agreement with one another on some of these. So there's, you know, not that we need to beat the snot out of these per se, or not that we're just going to sit here and pontificate, but, you know, there's there's a little bit that we've covered together, and so we might feast on those a little more. Um, and if you're listening and have listened to those episodes, you can see how we really feel about the twists. Right, right. I uh,
0: I actually, one of my original ones was uh, a plot point in Final Fantasy VI, but since that is an upcoming episode and episodes on the show, I said, oh, you know, hold off on that because that's not something that uh, we should spoil Ben for because it's his first time playing it and he's going to have a grand old time.
1: Big, big,
0: big. But yes, Ben is right. We did uh, confer with each other on what games we were picking and we cleared it for each other. So nobody is at the risk of being spoiled for anything. Ben, I have a question for you. Yeah. Do you like twists in stories?
1: I, I have to say that I do. It's um, the subverting of expectations, I think, is what makes the story. And it also is generally a catalyst for character growth. So yes, I mean, when one looks at their own life, and sees the moments where they've been changed or formed the most it's generally the twists yeah absolutely there was a period of time
0: in like the early 2000s where it was starting to go out of vogue I think largely because of M. Night Shyamalan and people would always (laughs) clown on him what a twist you know
1: yeah well and admittedly it was like every other year like people are just sitting there waiting for the twist and it's like that's it, dep- it depends on how you set it up. Like, there are some movies like um, Love Actually, for example. That's, like, cute, and it's an early, mid-aughts movie, right? And you've got a bunch of different things. You've got, of course, every M. Night Shyamalan movie. Um, Shout out to The yeah, Village. I, that movie is not as bad as people think it is, I think. I still I still need to see that, to be honest. That's what <laughs> oh, I need to really? see. Really? Truly, I tell you, yeah, I love his movies, and I just, I never, I was too afraid whenever I was, like, younger, but now I'm, like, ready for that kind of stuff. But anyhow, yeah, yeah, Twist, I like them. Do you like them, Rick? I like them just fine. Um, I, I agree with you.
0: You didn't outright say this, but I think that you were kind of sidestepping toward it. I, when, when a, when a subversion of expectations isn't expected, I think that's when it's the most impactful. Yeah. Um, i was and this works in all mediums too i was just watching a comedy skit of uh you know tim robbins from i think you should leave or is it tim robinson no yeah i tim yes (laughs) from from i think you should leave i was watching a sketch where he was playing a bartender and this kid asked like you know i was like oh i forgot my id and he's like oh hey like you know here's my id and he hands it over to him and he's like but you're not a cop right you have to tell me. And the guy's like, no, I'm not a cop. He's like, you have to tell me. And he's like, no, I'm not a cop. He's like, okay, here's my ID. And then he's like, mm-hmm. can I see some ID please? And the patron hands over the ID that is Tim's ID. And Tim looks at it. And he goes, this is a fake, you son of a bitch. And then the scene just ends. It's very good. So it's, it's a good subversion of expectations that you're not expecting.
1: No. And there's, there's a way to do it the right way. And there is a way to do it. That is the wrong way. Um, for those of you who know how much of a star Wars person just that I, I was in the closet as a star Wars person for many years. Um, I'm out. I'm very out now. Um, episode eight, there were so many subversions of expectations that you just get dizzy and it's like, okay, we didn't need to do that many different twists over. It it has to have a reason and not just be like, A wasteful kind of twist. I don't know. I feel like you know what I mean, Rick. Yeah, absolutely. And that's not even to speak on the quality of
0: the narrative twists that come within the eighth and ninth Star Wars movie either. You know?
1: Yeah, because like it's not that there are all bad twists. It's just kind of you have to be careful of how you use these things and use these devices. Otherwise, you can just make a spaghetti mess. Absolutely.
0: Man. You go for some spaghetti spaghetti and chili on on a day where the temperature outside is below uh, zero.
1: It is. It really is, everybody.
0: Uh, But without further
1: delay or adieu, why don't we get into our lists? Agreed. Do we want to list all three and then talk about them, or do we want to do one at a time? Let's do one at a time, but I wanted to ask first if you had any honorable mentions
0: that you just wanted to gaff off and throw out there. You don't have to go into detail
1: with them, but do you have any games that you recommend and be like, hey, there's a really good twist in this one? One that you're bringing up that honestly could have been in my top three list, but I didn't want to do two from that. You know, I don't want to get too, you'll see, you'll know. Um, in fact, yeah, I see you nodding, Rick knows, and you can't see him nodding, so you don't know. Um, no, there's, there's plenty of games that have twists that I've enjoyed, but... I can't necessarily think of any honorable mentions off the top of my head and I'm sure that there are games but what about for you? I think one that we've covered on the show
0: before we could say is Undertale. I think there are a couple of twists in there that I I gen- generally
1: didn't see coming. That's true and when you say that I think about things like Edith Finch too. Yeah. Yeah, in in a way
0: I think I think that in like
1: Firewatch could be
0: considered to have a narrative twist even though it's not the kind of showstopper, in-your-face Hollywood narrative twist that we might associate with with M. Night Shyamalan or something.
1: No, but it's a suspense twist. It's a will-they-won't-they kind of like what's actually going to be the thing, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah, I know. Why don't we just dive right in to our number threes? All right, would you like to go first? Sure, sure, I'll go first. So my number three comes from a... Uh, A little-known game, a little-known indie game releasing in 97. uh, One that you may or may not have heard of, Final Fantasy VII. I've never even heard of this game. That's sarcasm. And if you want to skip ahead, you can do so by going to the following timestamp. 1550. So this is probably one of the earliest big video game twists I ever had, and it was actually spoiled for me... On Wikipedia, that ain't right. I remember as a kid, I, w- I would go, th- and this was when the internet was brand new. So just being on the computer was an activity. You know, you couldn't just bring it up on your phone, or it wasn't as accessible. You had to like go to the dedicated computer room. But anyways, I, I would like, t- I liked to go on to like Wikipedia and look for pictures of like game characters to use. Oh, like same, We yeah. we'd print them out and like play pretend with our friends. Be like, this is my guy. This is your guy tape it on the wall just <laughs> tape the thing right to the wall yeah stuff like that yeah and uh i there is a big old honking picture of this scene <laughs> right in the main section of wikipedia and i was like oh cool i didn't get there yet so that's cool but everybody that's played this game knows what i'm talking about in final fantasy 7 there is a very famous scene where your crew goes to this temple temple of the ancients to stop the main villain sephiroth From summoning this big meteor to kind of destroy the planet. This all happens in the first part of the game. So this isn't endgame spoilers. But you go there and your one character, Aerith, is uh, sort of praying. She's one of these, uh, she's got blood of the ancients in her veins. So she's praying to the planet to try to help stop. Uh, Sephiroth tries to manipulate Cloud into killing her and it doesn't work. So instead, while she's praying, and this is all in a cutscene, you see Sephiroth just descend down from the ceiling, impaling her, and killing off one of your main characters right at the start of the game. Damn. And it was, it was impactful as a kid. It, it's, uh, this is one that I think almost everybody that is a JRPG fan, or just a Final Fantasy fan in general, It's one that they will always put at the top of their list, I think, when they think of impactful twists
1: or what have you. Rick, have you seen Lost? No, I have not seen Lost. I don't, I take my media suggestions very lightly, but if you like twists, I would suggest Lost. And that's all I want to say. I, that whole building up of a character and like world building them and giving them definition and then just like axing them that also feels kind of game of thrones doesn't it in a way yeah yeah we've done sh- we've
0: done episodes on the show before of games where this happens as well um, what i liked about the original is that when once they killed her off she doesn't come back right in chrono trigger this is a famous example that we just did on the show uh chrono dies towards the very tail end of the game but you can bring him back pretty easily and it it it's it's, it's one of these things where it's like writers will do something like that, something that elicits emotion, like killing off a character, and then they think, well, we don't want to make the fans sad. So they bring them back, and it just takes, it strips it away of any impact that it may have had. You know what I mean?
1: And I, I find that to be cowardly. I hate that. There's a, I mean, unless it's, if it's like a vehicle for some sort of catalyst transformation, like if there's a bigger picture, like if we're talking Gandalf, that's a that's a different bring him back kind of thing. Oh sure, sure. But I I would argue in Chrono Trigger it's
0: not um, because you don't sure. need to bring him back. You you can just leave him gone. It it doesn't serve a higher narrative purpose. I guess to 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 get to your point, like like Gandalf yeah. does.
1: Yeah, and that's just like oh everyone liked this character so much. We're just gonna bring him back because that's unnatural, but it's fan servicing in an uncomfortable way. It it is fan servicing,
0: and I'm I'm just not a fan of that kind of fan service, you know? <laughs> like I honestly I, I think I, I am more forgiving of a fan service scene of like the main characters having like a beach day or something like that than I am of just these narrative missteps, in my opinion.
1: Fan servicing in certain Star Wars is great, the Mandalorian, Rogue One, and a few others. There's some fan servicing in things like the book of Boba Fett that just missed by miles. Or episode nine. Episode nine is proof of how good episode eight could have been. What does that mean? That means the things that in nine that worked, the bandages they had to slap on that thing to make it actually come to an end. If eight would have been the movie that it was originally supposed to be, nine would have been death metal from at least from what I've read of the leaked, um, original scripts for those movies. Are we talking about the same thing? I kind of thought nine was a trash movie. I mean, it's kind of the only way it could have ended based on how eight was. I think I, I, I don't, I don't not hear you. It's just, I wish that JJ Abrams would have been involved in all three so that we wouldn't have had nine be the way that it is. No, that's fair. That's fair. It, It'd be like if uh, John Williams was, like, scoring a movie, and then you bring in, like, I don't know, Natalie Sleeth from, like, the, the cheesy church music world, and then she, like, writes the middle movement, and she goes, okay, Mr. Williams, you may finish now. And he's like, what do I do with this piece of shit?
0: <laughs> anyway. Yeah, that's uh, that's my number three. Killing off a main character
1: is always a good t- It's always a good time. <laughs> Uh, there's so many things I could say, but I don't want to have anything used against me in a court of law. Um, (laughs) Happy Christmas, everyone. Happy Uh, Christmas.
0: Ben, what's your number three pick,
1: bud? So my number three pick, and the twist is kind of the game, so I don't even know if I can really build up to it because ultimately you can figure this out pretty early on in the game based on character interactions alone and a few other things. My number three game... And for those of you who listen to this episode, and for those of you who know this game, you already know Professor Layton and the Curious Village. Before I get too hot and heavy into this, I'm going to do what Rick did earlier and say, jump to this timestamp if you'd rather not hear any of this.
0: 23-23.
1: So Professor Layton and the Curious Village, it's... You know, it's most games we like the puzzles we find in games, and this game is literally all puzzles. Even the mystery of the game itself is the puzzle. There are certain clues about the game. You know, I I could go on about the story as we talked about earlier. Um, But if you want to hear the story, we have an episode on Professor Layton and the Curious Village that you should totally check out. How's that for an Inception kind of plug? Um... Professor Leighton and his assistant Luke show up to the town of St. Mystere. They're summoned by a letter from Lady Dahlia, the widow of the Baron Augustus Reinhold, and they're trying to solve this mystery of the golden apple that he's left behind, which ultimately has to deal with familial lineage. That's not really... I mean, sure, you could call that resolution a twist in and of itself, the end of the game, but the thing that makes... The title, what it is, is the fact that there are little hints throughout the entirety of the game that, again, a keen eye can pick up on, that something is up with the residents and that eventually we learn through climbing a tower that there is a man who is servicing all of the residents because they are not humans, they are robots. And it becomes apparent if you play the game and then go back and play it again, you can see it. But you'll also like, they're like things like cogs laying about the town and like, Sometimes a resident might, like, make a whir or, like, a buzzing kind of sound or, like, repeat themselves too much. I mean, they they are literally, like, humanoid automaton robots. Um, you know, it's not the biggest twist, but I also couldn't use one of the games that Rick is going to bring up either because I knew he was going to pick one, of, one that he did. Yeah, I don't know. Rick, do you have anything to build on this twist? Because we did this game together.
0: Yeah, I... I, it's it's a dangerous game to play the whole, like, they were actually a robot card, you know? It's been done a lot, and mm-hmm. it's not always done super well. <laughs> you know, there are times when that card is played, and it, it can be pretty lazy. Um, yes. I didn't think that it was particularly bad here. I I thought it was fine. I, I did notice all of the cogs and the whirring of the... <laughs> of the townspeople as you Mm -hmm. go as you go through but I was never really thinking about it you know so so it was still an effective twist
1: whenever it actually was revealed to you and this game came out in North America in 2008 so like that was still the point in my life where I was watching Star Wars for like the action and not for the politics you know what I mean like not that I couldn't understand the politics of the game. But for me, I was just like trying to solve mysteries. And like, I was so focused on the puzzles that like I was skipping over dialogue. So like I, the mystery was very mysterious until, you know, you reach the tower and Bruno's like, oopsie daisy. I'm putting a battery in Ricardo. He never says that
0: (laughs) he should though. And this is, this is tough too, because games that have a twist, that is so central to the story, like this, it, it makes it, it makes it tough to do it in a way that would promote replayability. Like particularly in in mystery games, you know, games like this, games like Disco Elysium, games like Persona Four, um, they're all they all have a who done it sort of at the at the center of their plot, and I think each of those games handles it differently. But uh, do what what would you say, Ben? Do you think that Leighton in the Curious Village is a replayable game. Like, could somebody feasibly play it two, three times in a row
1: and still have a good time? I wouldn't say two or three times in a row. I would say two times in a row max. But it's a game that's fun to play with someone else. So, like, if you play through it once by yourself and then you say, "Hey, if you want to wait a way to pass the time or if you want to play a game, I have something we could do together." And then it turns into a little bit more of an experience and you can watch somebody unfold the game and unfold the mysteries and get something out of it. That's that's how I feel about it. its replayability. Um and I know that this isn't like a grand kind of game to choose, and I know that there are other games somewhere in my brain that have bigger and even better twists, but I mean, this game is full of twists, this being I'd say the most substantial.
0: Yeah. The, the tough thing about Layton, too, is that not only is the core story based around a whodunit, but the gameplay is puzzles. And those puzzles generally have one solution. So once you've seen most of them, now you're at a kind of a disadvantage going through the rest of it, you know, because if you replay it, you're going to know the answers to all of these puzzles. Or at the yeah. very least, vaguely remember them enough to solve it pretty quickly.
1: Yeah. And some of them, I just forgot entirely and pissed me off and they pissed me off just as much as they did when I was younger. So take that for what it's worth. <laughs> that, that's <laughs> my number three. That's my number three, everyone. That that can happen too.
0: Yeah. I don't know. Mystery games are tough. They're really tough. I I mean, the perennial example for me is Disco Elysium, which I also mm-hmm. almost chose for this list. Um, How could you not? <laughs> I mean, exactly. It, it's still my personal game of the year for, like, four years running at this point. Um, but but that has enough interesting stuff within it and a ton of content within it that the central mystery, even if you know it, it's not a huge deal, you know. The, the, the game is more about the inside journey. Per, Persona 4, a little less, I, I think. It's not puzzle-based. It's just, you know, standard JRPG turn-based combat. So that'll be, you know... That that'll be what it is each time, but yeah, mystery. I'm not I'm not a hu- I'm not hugely versed. I'm not <laughs> I don't know why that sounded like a Trumpism for a second.
1: No, hugely I did not hear versed. him
0: anyway. I am not hugely versed in this matter. Some some say that I might be though.
1: some some say that I might be might might be pretty versed in Yosemite. <laughs> in,
0: in Yosemite.
1: Nothing <laughs> says purple mountains majesties above the fruited plains like mispronouncing one of the greatest you know places in the united states yosemite oh man like did he even fucking watch looney tunes yosemite sam like can we start can we start with whenever he would have been i don't know whatever i get very angry about him
0: (laughs) (laughs) right i mean rightfully so god damn you want to move on to our number two picks ben Rick, I want to hear your number two. All right. My number two pick is from the game Bioshock 1, coming out in 2007. Another fairly popular one that I think most people will know, but if you don't know it and you want to skip this talk, go to this timestamp: 3023.
1: Admittedly, this was the one. This was one that I was gonna put on my list, but I had to swap out because I knew you would pick it. It it's just such a classic one that I, I don't I, I I would struggle to make a list like this without including it, you know? Yeah. I I'll leave you to talk about it, but there is I know that I know that we're gonna talk about what happens after it too, because that's the nature of that particular event.
0: Right. So in Bioshock, you start the game sort of as crash landing into the ocean and finding yourself in this underwater-esque city of rapture. And it was created by this man that you come to learn, is his name is Andrew Ryan. And as we're making our way through, um, we're hearing broadcasts from him, uh, broadcasts from someone named Atlas, and eventually we do come face-to-face with Andrew Ryan and... I'm not going to spoil the entirety of the plot, I don't think, but it's revealed that genetically you've kind of been manipulated to respond to the phrase, would you kindly, in such a way that it makes whatever comes after a direct command. So, would you kindly fetch me a pail of water isn't a request, it becomes a command that you biologically have to carry out. And what happens is when we learn about this about Andrew Ryan kind of making us this way, we get a flashback to all the times that Atlas was talking to us saying, "Would you kindly do this? Would you kindly do that? Would you kindly do this?" And then we kind of have this realization, "Oh, we've kind of been brainwashed this whole time." Um and th- the thing that makes this twist, I mean, it's a cool scene, it's a very cool scene. Ah, uh, because <laughs> directly after it's fucking metal, uh, we're driven uh, by the "would you kindly" phrase to murder somebody with a golf club, uh, and it's pretty cool. <laughs> but you know, it happens. Yeah. yeah, just it's just your average Saturday, uh, average Saturday in Ohio, but especially Ohio, <laughs> especially Ohio, fucking Ohio.
1: God, we are an anti-Ohio podcast, everybody. <laughs> Maybe not. I don't know. It depends on what part. True. It depends on where you are in Ohio. Let's just say you should all move to Port Clinton. The thing about this
0: uh, plot point that made it so famous is because it, it was a sort of critique and commentary on game design. So this notion of we're always following these rules just because we're expected to in games and just because we're told. We're told to go to the next area, and sometimes it doesn't have any meaning outside of, well, the game told me to. Why are you doing this? Well, the game told me to. And that's kind of what this became. It became a commentary on that kind of game design. And, you know, this came out in 2007. Since then, plenty of games have kind of taken up uh, this meta commentary. But at the time... This was, I mean, this was big. This was this was pretty huge, especially in a AAA game. I have no doubt that indie games, probably or smaller games, probably have touched on this before, even around the early two thousands. But like for a big game from a big studio to do this and do it so well as well, it it was just awesome. I didn't get to experience this at the time in two thousand and seven. Uh, I would have what what I would have been in middle school. I think, but I, I wasn't playing video games super heavily in middle school outside of like Pokemon, but I, I we did play this for the show, as Ben I think Ben mentioned, and if Ben didn't mention it, I'm mentioning it now. Uh we did play this for the show back in two thousand and one. Twenty twenty hate to break it to you, pal. Twenty twenty one, yes. It was the it was a fateful day in September of two thousand and one when we did this podcast on Bioshock. I was 9. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, reminds me of that tragedy. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> RIP Norm McDonald. Yeah. Uh yeah, but yeah, we did this in 2021.
1: Uh we did BioShock Infinite right after it as well. The thing about this twist, I love this twist. I I think it's it's brilliant. It was probably the most alarming twist that I had experienced in a video game just from like a Holy cat! like, usually I'll pick up on, like, some kind of, like, like, where something is going. And, like, even in Edith Finch, which I don't want to ruin right now, I kind of went, oh, oh, okay, I can see how that's coming. But Bioshock, like, literally, like, just literally hit you with a golf club. And suddenly you're, like, dizzy. And then there's other, you know, you think back to all of the other evidence and things throughout the game and things that come up afterwards and you're just like oh my god i'm the bioshock it's really intense the bioshock was the friends we met along the way
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's a great pick rick uh yeah you're right it it's um (laughs) you're right i'm good at this um but (laughs) because it did that following scene so well when Andrew Ryan basically says, would you kindly beat me to death with this golf club? Um, that like cemented that moment in gaming history forever. Like, I, I don't think like, you know, it, it would be tough to put a number on it just off the cuff, like top 10 of all time. But if you're talking about the top 50 gaming moments of all time, I, I would wager to bet that this moment makes that list for sure.
1: Hands down. I mean, the way that they set it up, And there's all of this anticipation that's been building throughout the entire game. And there you are face to face with that bastard, you know,
0: man, it's such a, it's such a good game. I'm going to replay it at some point, whenever I'm in the mood to play Bioshock two, I'm going to replay one so I could get to two right after, you know, I've been saying the same thing about Witcher for all my life. Like I love Witcher three, but I've never played two. So like, I want to play two again before I play three. You know what I mean? Same with Bioshock. I respect that. Uh, And Bioshock 2 is the only one we haven't done on the show, so at some point. We'll get there. On a long enough timeline, we'll get to everything we want to. LOL, yes.
1: That's enough about my number two, though, Ben. Tell us about yours. Okay, so my number two is, and this was a surprise to me, but I was thinking about it, and I went, oh my god, I actually have to include this. And again, I'm shocked that I picked this at all but it's Call of Duty Black Ops, with a big parentheses around the number one, because there are many Black Ops games. This, uh, Call of Duty is generally known for the online aspect for Team Deathmatch, Capture the Flag, all of those kinds of iterations of online play, all of that. The stories of Call of Duty games, I kind of I don't—how do I say this without sounding—I didn't expect much from it. But this particular story kind of blew my mind, and if you don't want it spoiled, you should jump ahead to this timestamp now.
0: 39.16.
1: So, it's—it's a dizzying kind of story, especially because of jumping between multiple timelines— The game takes place between 1961 and 1968 during both the Cold War and the Vietnam War. And there's a lot of back and forth, there's a lot of you're playing as this character in this time, you're playing as this character in this time. So it gets a little bit dizzy. But, and it takes place in, in multiple, multiple areas. And I could go, you know, it's it's in the Ural Mountains, it's in Cuba, it's in South Vietnam, Siberia, Kazakhstan. It takes place literally everywhere um, that deals with these places. And that's, I think, one thing that sets this game apart is the fact that it it takes place in wars that, quote, never happened. And not to say that Vietnam didn't happen because it was very real and it very much happened. But it, it goes into those kind of dangerous territories, especially with the Cold War commentaries that it makes. Um, There's a number of significant actual historical figures including Robert McNamara, Fidel Castro, and even John F. Kennedy are all in this game. The voice acting is okay. It is fine for being what the game is. As much as I could hash out every detail because it does get a little bit long-winded and it's worth the journey so even if you're listening and you're going okay well what's going on the build up to the moment uh of the game that really makes it is is worth it um interesting that these are your game and, and my number two are both actually uh, first person shooters as well now that i think about it but um anyhow because I, I usually don't Think of these games as twist-worthy, usually. I'm in the RPG, JRPG mindset. Ultimately, the character that you play as the most, uh, whose name is Mason, that's at least uh what he's called by most of the time, um, he's been forced to recount memories, and he's kind of in an interrogation room, and they've got him tapped, and he's got like an IV, and and they're trying to pull things from him, and he has this sequence of numbers that keep playing on a screen in front of him, and he keeps reciting to himself. He's been involved in missions all over all over the planet, wherever he's being sent, and it's ultimately revealed, and this, this is super, super twisty, and I'm trying to keep it relatively vague so that people can enjoy this. You are the people, by the way. Um, a man by the name of Dragovich um, from Russia ultimately has placed sleeper sleeper cells um, within each state capital. And he's been broadcasting these numbers. And ultimately you, another character that you play as named Hudson reveals that you Mason have been brainwashed and you've been under this, you know, you've been a sleeper agent for the Soviet, um, for the Soviet union for a number of years. And they've been trying to get you to assassinate the president, you know, John F. Kennedy. It keeps going and that's, that's its own sort of twist, but you also come to realize through this really wacky scene, really, really kind of dizzying scene that that's why these numbers keep playing over and over again. And that's why, you know, you've been having these, you've been having hallucinations about characters in the game, people who've not actually been existing like at any point. Um, and it ultimately leads to an ending that's, well, I don't want to give it away, but ultimately you've been, brainwashed not only by dragovich but also by the individual um that you were hallucinating about who's trying to get you to actually kill dragovich so it's kind of like a double twist kind of moment it's 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 really dizzying but if you play the game it makes a lot more sense so again i did i did not expect call of duty black ops to be on my list of games with great twists but it's one that works well and you don't really get to see it coming until it happens. So I would, I would definitely suggest this game a good playthrough.
0: That's interesting. So on, on a re I've not played this game just for full disclosure, but on, so on a replay is your, is the story experience recontextualized on
1: a replay after, you know, the twist. Yes. I mean, you can, you kind of get some hints when you're playing through it for the first time that something is up with your character Mason, but You don't know why that is or what that is necessarily. And the game is, the game is full of other little twists that are not so, they're not so, it's not so chock full of twists that you feel dizzy by the end, but you sit there and go, okay, wow, no, this is actually possible because it is like historical fiction. Nothing in this game is like outside the realm of possibility, as it were, which I think is what makes this game as enjoyable as it is, and it allows me to dig uh, robots. No, we're not going to run into robots in a town. At least I hope not. Maybe wherever Jeff Bezos is. These kind of story elements and people being brainwashed, I mean, it happens. I don't know. Yeah, that's
0: that's interesting. I, I don't know. I, I've never associated Call of Duty with having stories, and I think that's largely because in the past couple of iterations they've either been not been included or just
1: severely on the on the back burner and you said this is black ops 1 black ops 1 i think this was 2010 2011 was when this came out right yeah november 9th 2010 um keeping in line with that holiday rush we talked about in our um, you know christmas episode um yeah, very, very surprising. I mean, they touch on things like the Soviet space program, Nazi scientists, um, hallucination, the Vietnam War, obviously. It's, it's a surprising game and story. And Rick, you're exactly right. There's, there's a number of stories in other games that are Call of Duty that just don't really do that well. I remember trying it in Black Ops 2 and I didn't even finish it because I didn't feel compelled. I don't know. Something, something that, has happened slash could have happened like they they find a way to weave this in that like we have no proof that these things didn't happen because we couldn't know and i love that it sounds
0: really cool man like i i i wouldn't say no we were originally planning to do this on the
1: show weren't we we were and i think you'll still be satisfied with it just as I know that I would still love Final Fantasy VII, which I've not played, and I know everybody. I know I need to. I know it's <laughs> a crowning achievement, okay? But, yeah, no, I think we should still cover this game. Well, it's funny not to jump back to Final
0: Fantasy VII, but in the remake, uh, which is more of a reimagining than anything, uh, after like the first couple of story beats, it's a whole new story. So uh, Aerith is fine so far in the remake, but uh, and there are ghosts for some reason. I don't know, Tetsuya Nomura is doing it, so it's fucking Kingdom Hearts bullshit just everywhere. Um, Nothing against him. Actually, a couple things against him. But yeah, no, we got to get Black Ops back onto the schedule. Uh, We haven't done, you could call, I wouldn't call Bioshock a standard shooter. I would call Bioshock Infinite a standard shooter, a pretty standard shooter. But we haven't done like a meat and potatoes kind of shooter, like a shooter's shooter, you know? Except Goldeneye. Oh shit, yeah, we did do Goldeneye. Yes, the days run the days run together, man. My my brain is You mean is the, soup. the
1: months and years,
0: <laughs> Yeah. My my brain is soup. I don't I don't I don't think so good no more. Rick, you're talking funny. <laughs> you smell toast? Oh no. Oh I'm burn I'm burning toast. That's why I said that. It's like the Bo Burnham song. Could be having a stroke or overcooking your toast. Wow. So we've only got number one left.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Any final words before we jump into our number ones? Any final shout outs to other games?
1: There are a lot of games that I, I you know I'm, I'm thinking about as we do this and some twists throughout them. I mean even Banjo-Tooie has a a little twist here and there and uh I don't know if I have anything right now, no. You know, it's interesting
0: too just before we get into our number ones um and this could have been a whole discussion in and of itself but some people might say that just by revealing there's a twist, we're spoiling a
1: story. Yeah, I don't... I mean, sure, you could say that you've ruined a story by saying it has a twist, but, like, if a story doesn't have a twist, what what is it doing but just emulating something very ordinary? And I don't mean ordinary in, like... Because twists are ordinary, but, like, mundane, I guess. Like, nobody watches any of those Hallmark Christmas movies because they end up the way that like, you know, that they're just like clean cut and like the lady keeps living in the city and the guy stays in the suburbs. You know what I mean? Like everyone knows there's got to be a twist. You don't watch a Hallmark Christmas movie expecting people to like not fall in love. Like that, that is the twist. There's always that twist, even if it is repeated over and over. I don't know. Well, I I think by
0: that metric then that, twist wouldn't be considered a twist so much as a trope, right? Like a classic like a formula. Um, Whereas I'm more so saying like something really unexpected like the sleeper agent thing or a main character getting killed
1: just out of nowhere. Like that kind of deal. Yeah, I mean I don't know. Having, Having a main character killed off the bat is one thing. Having like a minor character killed off the bat is kind of like, would we call that a twist? I...
0: I think so. I also wouldn't call Aerith a minor character. No, 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 no. I'm not talking about her. I'm talking about another character in another game. Oh, okay. Um Yeah. No, she's not. Yeah, I don't I don't I don't know. I, I think it depends on the character, I suppose. Um I don't know. I can see people saying that it it's a form of spoiling. I can understand it. It's it's kind of like when somebody when you're watching a movie that you've never seen with somebody that's seen it. And, like, they lean to you. They're like, oh, pay attention to this part. And you're like, but nothing's yeah. happening right now. And then, then, like, that kind of lessens the impact, you know? I can, Which, by the way, I, I hate that. Oh, me too. I hate
1: that. Like, for me, when it comes to things that have twists, I just suggest it to people. Like, I'm not saying this movie has a twist, but I would absolutely recommend that people watch Jordan Peele's Us. Sure, no twists in that one. I I didn't say there were any, and I won't say if there were any or are any.
0: Yeah, if there's one thing you can count on from Jordan Peele, it's a standard ordinary movie. An outstanding standard ordinary movie. (laughs) LOL. Yeah, yeah, no, everything I've seen by him is terrific. Well, I think it's about time that we cap off this list with our number ones. Take it away, baby. All right, my number one comes from a game that released in North America and and everywhere it seems in April of 2010 re-released with a much needed upgraded port in April of 2021 near replicant and of course uh if you don't want to hear the following which by the way I recommend because this is going to spoil like a huge chunk of the story uh, you could skip ahead to this timestamp. Fifty-fifty. So this one is a bit of a doozy because it kind of encapsulates the entire plot. And and so here's what happens: the the gist of Near Replicant is you're playing as a as a young white-haired boy who is taking care of his really sick sister. So the first part of the game, it's you going around uh, with this magic book named Grimoire Vice looking for these sealed verses because you think that will cure your sister. About halfway through the game, your sister is abducted by this shadow figure called the Shadow Lord. Just looks like a a, a shadow demon. And that's important because the main enemies in the game are shades. They they kind of look like Heartless from Kingdom Hearts if they were cooler. Like that's, that's exactly uh. what it is. Um, in fact, I... I don't, I don't know offhand. I don't think Tetsuya Nomura worked on this, but uh, I, I would be shocked if this wasn't an influence to Kingdom Hearts. Um, well, then again, actually, this came out after Kingdom Hearts. What am I talking about? Kingdom Hearts, the trailblazer. Uh, my brain is soup. I'm telling you right now. My brain is soup. Um, anyway, they do look like Cooler Heartless, but... You get to the end, you're trying to get your sister back because she was kidnapped by this person. And that's when this whole thing gets kind of laid out for you. Uh, essentially, what happened is uh, the two characters that have been helping you this whole time, their names are Devil and Popola, they're twins, they're kind of like the overseers of your village. They're actually androids. And their mission is to see the human race move on. What happened was the human race years ago died out because of this disease that was going around. And <laughs> this is really spoiling the whole fucking thing. Um, essentially, what what happened was the souls of the original humans were kind of put into stasis, to, and 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 they were going to wait until the disease had kind of just passed. And at that point, they would be loaded back into their original bodies that were called replicants. Now, you currently are a replicant. You're not a human, That your character that you play as. You are a replicant, and your human is the Shadow Lord that took your sister. So, in in a weird roundabout kind of way, it is you kidnapped your sister and you are trying to save your sister it's it's wild uh it's really wild and all of these twists are kind of laid out all at the same time um this is also when it's revealed that all of the shades you've been killing throughout the entire game are actually people um so you've been murdering children and uh, adults just the whole game but it's all just kind of it hits you all at once immediately and it's It's just really well done. I think a lot of people would say that it's not really well done just because you have to kind of, you have to be willing to accept some outrageous plot points. I am, I don't think it's, I don't think it's a big deal. You're already suspending your disbelief enough as it is. It's just a really well done thing. And what I love the most about it is, uh, and what I consider to be my, kind of number one thing when it comes to twists is it recontextualizes future playthroughs and indeed it makes you do uh, extra playthroughs to get uh, the different endings a through e so you get to go through the game again or at least part of the game again with that perspective that no you're not actually killing just demons you're killing people that have relapsed into a state that they can't help. And you're kind of seeing it from their perspective now, like, oh, why is he coming at me with a sword? Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. Like that kind of deal.
1: I have dreamed of this twist, actually. I've always wanted to see this done. The idea that you are both the good guy and the bad guy at the same time without knowing it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's interesting, too,
0: because it's, it's not always as cut and dry as that. Because, you know, you could say that you're the bad guy, but... At, at the heart of it, the shades in the game do attack villagers who mm. the villagers themselves are replicants to. Um, so you are protecting them in a way and, and your goal is to rescue your sister. You just don't know that your shadow self, the original part of you, uh, kidnapped your sister, who is your sister's replicant, to reunite her with her original self so it's 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 a bit twisty and it's a bit uh, my explanation isn't going to do it justice because i didn't i didn't really write out a plot summary for me to read i'm just going off of the dome here it is a bit spider webby uh but it is really well done they they lay it out pretty well in the game pretty well not like amazingly well but pretty well and and that also plays into automata a little bit like Automata is not going to be spoiled for you if you know that not really, but uh, it plays into it a little bit as well. So yeah, that is, that is my number one. It's really cool to be going through a game thinking that you are doing the right thing. And then only to learn
1: that, no, actually uh, you've been causing a lot of trouble. And that's when you learn that you're the Bioshock. No, um, that's, um, that's a really, I like that, that twist a lot. And now I want to play the game, even though I know, I want to play this now. It's it's still enjoyable to play even if you do
0: know that twist because I think if you were to play it you would just based on my explanation alone you would probably forget a lot of the the finer points of it and and it is laid out better in the game's execution than in my kind of hurried
1: hurriedly put together summary. Oh, and that's just it. I think that's kind of our goal here is to not give too many Honestly, I think that this episode kind of about encouraging people to take on some of these games in a way because we don't want to give away too much and we don't want to, you know, it's like, you know, we're talking about Call of Duty Black Ops. The idea of playing that actually, I think, sound, based on your reaction, sounds enticing to you. That's kind of, you know, that's what we're here to do is to say, here's not every bone, every bit of flesh, every muscle of the story but here's what makes the brain of this one a little bit different. Here's what makes it enjoyable. Um, really cool concept, and I'm again, I'm so glad. I, I sometimes I try to think up stories in my head, and I always think, or have been thinking of late, like, how do you make someone both? As I said earlier, so that's really cool, Rick. I like
0: that. It is. It is. It is pretty cool. Uh, we will be doing that one on the show in January and February as well. Ben, you're you're going to be sitting that one out. But I do recommend playing it if you ever feel that you have the time and you have the uh, willingness to pay for the PC port, which is the port is fine. It's not great, but it's fine. Fair enough, fair enough. What is your
1: number one, Benjamin? Why don't you take us out? Rick, my number one is a game that you and I have both played. And this is, in many ways, my favorite twist I've experienced the only thing that really rivals it is actually a game that you've already mentioned, Bioshock the first. For me, my number one is Bioshock Infinite. And if you don't want anything ruined here, you can skip ahead to this timestamp.
0: One hour and 55 seconds. Man, we, uh, we've we got different feelings on this
1: game. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. I I can see it through the lens with which you can see it. And I think that there were a number of things in this game that were meant to drive it differently. And that's not me saying I think you or I are right or wrong. It's just I think that not unlike the number of realities that exist, there are a number of ways to look at this. For me, though, the thing that made this game kind of leave me going, what the actual hell? was the twist, which it kind of, you get little hints about this twist throughout the entire game, not unlike everything we've kind of talked about. I'm sure that there there's some tasteful foreshadowing, because you need to have some foreshadowing, or else the twist just kind of feels dumb. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, oh, but I couldn't have known. It's sort of like Arrested Development, and the twists, um, and the the kind of uh, hints that they give in that show before, um, well, I don't want to give anything away from that show because it's a masterpiece, at least the beginning was. You play as a character named Booker DeWitt who arrives in this city in the sky called Columbia in the year of 1912. And I could go down all of the story beats, um, but I'll just give a few light ones. Authorities there are calling you the false shepherd and that you're there to corrupt Elizabeth who is um, being held captive by... Their prophet, uh, Zachary Comstock, the man who's kind of engineered this entire, I mean, he's the one who's created the sense of um, systemic racism and other things in the city of Columbia. He is literally this horrible, he's he's really a horrible person who's um, just kind of running an idyllic society in the sky for certain people you know like other things in late stage capitalism there's there's our leftist rant for the day i apologize there has to be one gotta check that box thank you thank you for letting me check that box um ultimately as you can imagine you make your way to elizabeth who he's got captured um in this sort of tower in this building you know like most, quote, damsels in distress, except we learn that Elizabeth is very capable and is actually quite smart and talented and has some unnatural abilities. Zachary Comstock's wife is killed. There's there's a lot of blur and a lot of things that would really ruin um, ruin the playthrough of the game that I'm just going to leave out for now because, again, there's so much that happens. Ultimately, this game plays with the idea of parallel universes and time loops and and everything else. But at the very end of this game, and this this foreshadowing Rick, for God's sake, when you when you arrive in Columbia, I'll start by saying the song that is being sung by an acapella choir in the distance is, will the circle be unbroken or is it may the circle be unbroken? And you know, it's like, oh, okay, this is kind of a churchy song, okay. And this is what the the prophet's doing. And then you realize that that's the whole theme of the game. Um, is that, you know, you're, Elizabeth eventually explains that Comstock will always remain alive in alternate universes. Um, and that there will be other Lutesses um, and Bookers. And they keep trying to end the cycle, but it keeps chasing itself over and over and over again. Ultimately, and again, I hope you've skipped ahead... Um, it's revealed that Elizabeth is actually your daughter and that you are actually Zachary Comstock from another universe. It's, it's revealed, and ultimately, Elizabeth ends up drowning you in a baptismal font at the end of the game because you, feeling just worn out from everything, wish to repent and be washed of your sins, and ultimately, that's when you become Zachary Comstock. It's just... I feel like if I try to say what the twist is, I'll just talk in circles like the game wants you to. But ultimately that's the big revelation is that when you are actually confronting Comstock, not unlike Andrew Ryan, you're confronting yourself though. I mean, that's different, but there's a big confrontation and, and a big killing that you ultimately like see that you have like a nosebleed whenever you kill him, revealing that you have killed yourself, that you've died in a timeline. This, I, I enjoyed this. I enjoyed the time loops above all else in this game, which um, it makes more sense playing it than it does for me to try to talk about it, especially as, as you'd said, Rick, in like a hurried fashion, it's difficult.
0: Yeah. I, the, the thing about infinite to me is it, it, it's a neat concept. I just, I couldn't help but feel that it was just so messy in its execution. Not, and I mean the writing, but then also just the plot beats as well. I don't, I don't know.
1: I, I have pretty strong mixed feelings on this one. It's a game that I'm definitely going to be playing again for that reason, because of all of the loops. And I mean, anytime you get into alternate universes, and you know, Booker DeWitt existing as, um, you know, Zachary Comstock, and then you know he has he has a, a tattoo, and that's like that's kind of the indicator that like that that's, those are his daughter's initials. I believe he has tattooed on himself, but like the citizens say that that's the mark of the beast, but that's ultimately Zachary Comstock condemning himself, trying to keep himself safe in his own timeline because Zachary Comstock knows everything. It's if you think too hard, it'll give you a headache. So it's better experienced playing the game. And admittedly, there were moments where I had to call my friend Brian and say, Brian, what the hell is actually happening here and then he would ask me if I was okay with a spoiler and I would generally say no and he'd say okay keep going um but ultimately it's it's a better post-mortem discussion and um, and experienced live and in person but you know th- there's some there's some character things that are a little bit tricky in this game and I think part of that Rick because I know we talked about that I know we're not here to like postmortem the game as much as we're here to talk about twists but something I realized makes this game very different from Bioshock the first is the fact that the character you play as isn't fleshed out very well like you can honestly like inhabit the character as your own self easier than you can Booker DeWitt because Booker DeWitt has his own lines and his own ways of going about things and his own personality and all these sorts of things and I think that kind of makes it a little harder to get into, too. You know, the kind of typical, like, here's a macho kind of line that also is aimless, and then he keeps going. Like, and ultimately we didn't get that with Bioshock the first. Um, we couldn't have it that more.
0: Yeah, and I, I kind of prefer that. <laughs> Booker, oh, yeah. Booker's dialogue is pretty bad, by, by and large, throughout the game.
1: It is, and I, I think it's just there to act as, you know kind of filler between the actual story itself. Cause yeah, his dialogue is not very good. And honestly, some of it's not even necessary. So no, no, it's really not. <laughs> the story cares uh, for it. It He doesn't need to, he doesn't need sassy asides. It's just like, it, it's so different from Bioshock
0: one and two. It's just, Oh, it feels, it, it just doesn't even feel like a
1: Bioshock game to me. Almost. Yeah, it's, it's the twist at the end that definitely pulls it back into the, well, and I guess the other side of it is that there's some more metaphysics involved versus Bioshock is a little bit more science, even though there's still metaphysical elements. Um, it's like science tech advancements, whereas this one is more like opening, you know, tears that you can jump through. I, I suppose, I suppose it is a cool concept whether
0: whether or not I I can agree that it's done well the concept itself is pretty
1: cool oh and it's it's pretty it's it's I'm not saying it's not not messy because anytime you play with this it's going to get messy but ultimately the fact that you're basically being drowned by five incarnations of your daughter who each disappear as you die okay that's kind of cool it's a good pick, man. I when you ran your picks by me unordered, I assumed Call of Duty was going to be the number one. I mean, it's good, but I like this one. I even like BioShock ones more um, than Call of Duty. I mean, I honestly, th- those two are kind of like neck and neck for me because the twists are very different but very powerful between the two Bioshocks.
0: That's fair. That's that's fair. Yeah, well, we did it. We got through an episode chock full of spoilers. More spoilers than I think were in any other episode ever. You are correct, and I can say that without a shadow of a doubt.
1: Whew,
0: I'm sweating. Mm-hmm. It's it's, <laughs> it's single digits, and I'm sweating. This was good. This was fun. It's a fun way to kick off the year, a fun, lighthearted way to kick off the year before we dive into two games on the show that are super meaty and super dense, Final Fantasy 6 and Near Replicant, Nier, uh being the one that you heard in the show, if you decided to listen to it. Uh, but those are the next two big games on the show, and those will get us mostly entirely through February. Actually, entirely through February, now that I'm thinking about it. Oh, yeah. Well, that's about all that we've got
1: for today. It is, gang. And we hope that if you've not listened to some of our past episodes on the topics we talked about, that you'll give those a listen. We hope that if you skipped over some portions of this episode, that you go and play those games. I don't think Rick and I would suggest them from a Top Twist standpoint if we didn't see these games as significant or as necessary plays because they are all they're all jewels in their own way in the crown of video games absolutely
0: couldn't agree more all right ben here's to a productive and creative 2023 godspeed godspeed we'll see you all next time take care